I keep thinking about these liabilities that technically fall into this capital bucket, but mm -hmm. I'm thinking about the subway, yeah. I'm thinking about uh, the city's public housing, which mm -hmm. is in dire condition, um, and you know the dwindling federal dollars. And then I'm thinking about healthcare um, and how that's going to impact the city's public health system. And I'm just, um, I guess, I, my hope is that the mayor, when he says he's on top of it, that really they are on top of it. Mm -hmm. And but I haven't heard uh, or seen a convincing argument that that the city is really preparing for those expenses in the long term. Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Maria Dulles from the CDC. Thanks for joining us today. We're excited about today's show. Uh, we're getting deeper and deeper into budget season here. So the governor has put forth his executive budget uh, last month, and we broke that down. And now we have Mayor de Blasio putting forth his preliminary budget. So before we get to today's show, to talk more budget matters and what they mean and what to look for, just make sure that uh, you're subscribing to us. Uh, subscribe to What's the Data Point on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Tell your colleagues, your friends, your family, strangers when you're stuck on the subway, uh, whoever it is you want to spread the word to. Uh, but we're excited about continuing the podcast into 2018, and we're excited about today's show. So... For today's show, we are joined by Mara Gay. Hi, Ben. Hi. Uh, political reporter for the Wall Street Journal, who covers Mayor de Blasio very closely and quite well, and has written many important budget stories, and uh, is here to talk budget with us. But for today's data point is Maria. Today's data point is $88.7 billion, the preliminary budget for fiscal year 2019 released yesterday by Mayor Bill de Blasio. According to CBC calculations, the total budget will grow 1.4% and city-funded expenditures will go 4.3% over fiscal year 2018. Since Mayor Bill de Blasio has been in office, the budget has increased by $16.5 billion, or 23%. His new budget proposal includes few new initiatives. It includes another round of savings under the citywide savings program, but no addition to budget reserves. As per typical practice, excess resources from the current year 2018 are used to balance 2019 expenses. The budget does not recognize any potential negative impacts from federal or state actions. Here to discuss the proposal is Mara Gay, one of the best at covering the city's finances. Welcome. Well, thanks, guys, for that really kind intro. It's nice of you. Um, yeah, so... What are you thinking? Yeah, yeah, what's, what yeah think? start, start there's, us there's off. A lot, I mean, there's a lot to Maria unpack gave, here. Yeah, Maria sure. gave us some of the CBC big picture takeaways. Sure. What were some of, what so, some of the things that stood out to you? The number that I keep thinking about is this $2.2 billion increase in personnel expenses. So we're talking about um, paying for the city's massive, I think it's about 330000 um, people who work for the city uh, mostly are unionized. Um, they've, you know, at this point, I think we are up to, let's see, in 2019 next year, it's going to be a $49 billion expense. And so that's about 55% of the budget, which is a massive number. And um, I hesitate to bring up the word in the city, but, um, you know, my family is from Detroit. And so certainly I, I actually lived in Detroit during their meltdown. And so these kinds of things are kind of on my mind. They don't seem to be on the mayor's mind. <laughs> uh, we asked him about it. I asked him about it yesterday. And he's just not concerned. I mean, the economy is booming. 
he hasn't had to make very many difficult decisions. I think the real question becomes, you know, you're adding recurring expenses, and Maria has talked to me for years about this. I mean, what happens when the economy isn't good, and then you've got um, a lot of employees to pay? Um, and that's kind of the open question um, on my mind. It's really remarkable when you look. I mean, there's some of the headcount growth. You say, okay, you're doing pre-K. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're, you know, you're adding a whole new grade to the school system. Of course, you're going to add a lot of employees that way. Uh, maybe you do some other strategic things, but the growth has really been incredible. It's, it's really, we're at peak headcount in the city's modern history. Uh, since Mayor de Blasio has been in office, you're talking about an increase of 25,000 positions. Um, the budget projects 8,000 more this year, and then another 5,000 through the life of the financial plan. Um, so you got to ask first. You got to ask question: Well, what are these folks doing? Um, and certainly, yes, you're right. Pre-K was one of the big increases. They agreed to have 1,300 more cops. Sure, but headcount is up across all city agencies, and it speaks, um, as you said, Mara, very clearly to the fact that you know agencies just continue to expand and there's little in terms of looking at agency missions and programs and services to say well hey how can we reshuffle the pie here and get a little better at what we're doing do a little more with a little less Um, and there's very little of that going on but continuing to expand the workforce adds not just to salaries but to long-term obligations in terms of uh, health insurance and pension benefits. Yeah, it's interesting. The mayor was just on WMYC this morning doing his Friday uh, show with Brian Lair, and he said he's not, I'm just not scared of adding headcount. And then he said that it was part of the strategic mission of the city. And, you know, I think that he might be able to make a better argument if he could tell us um, a little bit more about what these employees are doing, as you said, Maria. I mean, I, you know, personally, um, if if someone was to come to me and say, listen, um, here we hired 80 new building inspectors because bad landlords are uh, not doing what they should and we need to get people there sooner. And then here we hired 80 caseworkers because, you know, we need to reduce these cases. There, there might be a really good argument there, but I think there might need to be some more information and transparency about what these folks are doing. Almost every time he's asked about headcount, he goes to the pre-K teachers and the 2,000 more cops on the beat. And that, he right. thinks, you know, is the end of the discussion because who doesn't want more teachers and who doesn't want more cops, right? Right. I, and just the fact that we hired them does not mean that they are effective at what they're doing, right? So where is the data? Okay, right. pre-K in some ways is too early to assess. You really want to look at some longitudinal impacts, fine. Crime is a complicated story to unpack. But where it comes to other city services, where is the data that shows that outcomes are better, that services are better, um, that the city is, you know, the outputs are even greater. We, you know, we hired more workers at DOT and we got to fix more potholes. Um, you know, some of that data is there, some of it is not. And there definitely could be a better push to link the two together, especially in the budgets, you know, as budget negotiations negotiations come up for the council to really press and say, hey, okay, you want to talk about this? Well, show us. And this show is us where the we data. get back to, it's wonky and in the wheeze, but the calls from CBC and others to change the mayor's management report, right, mm-hmm. to attach, you know, performance and output to allocation of, of funds. And that could then inform a lot of this discussion if you really had to put it in numerical fashion in black and white and really show it. Um, one of the other things it was I'm glad you mentioned uh, that you know the, we were sitting here waiting to start recording, listening to the mayor on Brian Lair mm-hmm. uh, pulling back the curtain here a little bit um, and having you know uh, an interesting 
conversation, you know, the other thing the mayor said is he was asked by Brian sort of vaguely about budget watchdogs, which, mm-hmm. you know, mostly means CBC. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> the mayor responded by saying you either believe in, you know, government or you don't, basically. You either believe in, in uh, you know... What a false dichotomy, <laughs> Mr. Mayor. Yeah. I mean... So that, you know, got some eyebrows raised here in the uh, studio. Um, but anyway, so so I think, Maria, you, you also raise a really good point, though. We're not even just talking about the expenses of salaries and personnel for this year, the next fiscal year, and every fiscal year after that when you grow the headcount. You're also talking about those long-term pension and healthcare obligations that are really eating at the city budget as well. Right. And, you know, the number that I like to tell to remind everyone is that pension expense is about to hit $10 billion in the city budget, which is just astounding, right? And this is after we've had a series of reforms. Um, It's while investment performance has been relatively good, um, and yet these pension costs continue to grow. And so you really start to get fearful about what happened when the market tanks, and you've got to phase in those losses yet again. And, you know, we you did a show while I was away um, on OPEB, which is the thing that no one talks about, and that is when uh, city workers retire, right now they get um, free, quote-unquote, health insurance the way they do with it when they're employees, which is they don't pay any part of the premium. And that amounts to a huge liability for the city for which there is no... Um, no prepaying of expense the way we do with pensions. It's not actuarially funded. We just pay the bills as they come due. And that liability is $95 billion and growing, right? So you're talking about tacking on to these liabilities that can really um, affect the, you know, the city's long-term fiscal stability. Well, it's interesting because uh, you know, <laughs> yesterday after the budget was unveiled by the mayor, we got this very curious statement from the PBA president, the head of the the city's largest police union, Patrick Lynch, and he said uh, that the mayor was, quote, trying to balance the budget on the backs of city workers. So what that said to us was, you know, um, of course, as unions do, because that's fine, um, that's their job, he's going to advocate for even more um, money in this year's contract negotiations. And I think, you know, we have more negotiations to come. The city is probably going to have to give some concessions. And it's not clear. I mean, there's really no pattern at this point or no history of the mayor taking the unions to task. Um, and so, you know, I, I think I think that could add even more liabilities. And the other question that I've had, and maybe this isn't the right way to think about this. You might want to jump in here. But times are really good in the city right now. So, you know, maybe there is an argument to be made that we should be putting, that we're putting the money where it should be going. But when you think about the infrastructure cost um, that we have, which are spiraling, I mean, the city's infrastructure is old. It's crumbling from the subways to the bridges, um, some of our housing stock. And so, you know, this capital budget, which is another animal, I wonder, you know, if the mayor has thought about maybe putting some of the gains that he's Mm -hmm. pumping into... Uh, you know, left and right into this expense budget and putting them into kind of a long-term investment. I think politically that tends to be very difficult because it's hard to put your name on something Mm -hmm. that's a 30-year project, um, thinking about Bloomberg's, you know, water tunnel, Mm -hmm. for example. Right. No, I mean, you've hit the nail, I think, right on the head, which is you... I think every other jurisdiction, say mostly state governments, because, you know, few have a capital budget and a capital program as large as New York City's... um, 
they pay with everything with a mix of federal resources and then state resources in terms of bonds, but also pay as you go. Current tax resources, it's basically also a part of their operating budget. And in New York City, we don't do that. When times were really good under Mayor Bloomberg, they had about two or three hundred million for a couple of years that in which they did this, um, but that went away very quickly once the recession hit. And it is um, it is one of the most the best ways I think to help your future financial picture, right? Because you know the reserves are good, but they're sort of there to get you through a short term crisis. What are the steps that you are taking to sort of more solid, you know, make the foundation more sound? And that is one of the ways to do it because it reduces your long term borrowing costs. And the city has already a lot of debt. Um, sure, the financial base is there to repay it, um, but it's still concerning because repayment of that debt in your operating budget, you know, limits your flexibility as a mayor to be able to provide current services. Um, I do want to comment on the contract stuff, right? Um, the unions are in, in a different place than they were before. Um, you know, when the mayor came in during the first term, there was, you know, there had been a contract freeze in place three years under Bloomberg. They took the position like, we don't have to take this. We will wait for the next mayor. Um, and they did come to a very reasonable agreement, right? Um, this time around, they said, well, hey, we, we've made sacrifice, it sounds like, from what I'm here, from what I'm reading from you guys, right? Um, We've made the sacrifice in the economy as well, so why shouldn't we have a piece of that? And you know, the mayor is very fond of going out there and saying, these are the lowest budget caps the city has ever had. Yes, but if you give contracts that are too expensive, you are going to blow those gaps right open. Um, and in my mind, that is something um, that's sort of more worrisome than some of the federal and state stuff that we've been very preoccupied with as you know a public. Interesting. Yeah, I, that was part of definitely part of the Q&A with the mayor yesterday at City Hall were several questions about where the union contract negotiations are headed and how that factors into some of the budget planning. Um, it doesn't seem like there's a lot uh, publicly happening on that, you know, and, and those discussions continue um, to relate it to a couple things that, you know, were just said. One of the things that came up is the health care costs and health care savings that they're claiming are happening and, and you know, exactly you know, it seems like there's a lot of good budgetary tricks happening at City Hall in terms of how they uh, display the savings that they're claiming. But, you know, that's sort of a pretty, uh, I mean, you would know better than me, Maria, but that, that seems like a pretty common thing to do is try to figure out ways to claim savings that may or may not actually be savings. Um, but, you know, one of the things I asked was in these, I knew the mayor wasn't going to really answer this, but I wanted to see if there was any chance or if he would give, you know, some indication or, or, or at least just get him on the record as, as dismissing it or something. But I asked if, if the idea of um, municipal employees contributing at all to their health care premiums right. was on the table in these negotiations. And he basically said, I'm not going to discuss, you know, the details of negotiations publicly, which is fine. Um, you know, but I think in, in philosophical terms, as he often likes to talk, he could mm -hmm. have talked about it. But um, that seems to be sort of a third rail for most uh, Democratic politicians. And that's a that's a that was a great question that you asked. Um, and I mean, it's it's tough because uh, you know, anybody who doesn't work for a, a government knows that they're putting in mm -hmm. a lot of money every month into their health care costs. We certainly are, um, you know, fair or not. And, and no worker really wants to do that. And it's a tough balance, I think, because the city mayor has to look out for the city as a whole. But also, you know, the municipal workforce um, has been, I think the city has been a source of employment and um, kind of a driver of the middle class 
-hmm. in the city for a very long time, especially for communities, poor communities, black communities, um, brown communities. And um, that's, you know, I think that that does have some value. Um, but I think that the balance, you know, where, where do you strike that balance? And I think right. he's going to, he hasn't really had to make any tough decisions yet. Yeah. So right. we'll see. And, and again, and it's not all or nothing, right? I mean, so the, I think the prevailing um, rate in the private sector is about 20%. People pay about 20% in premium. At the state, it's a little higher depending on your income even. Um, it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have to be employees pay the whole thing or even half. There's right. a wide range here where you can get them to have some skin in the game and offset some of the costs for the city um, and include that, you know, that will facilitate, I think, a deeper conversation about how you control some of the costs of the premium, um, which, you know, the this joint task force has done some work and it's been good work. But as Ben said, most of the savings have been from just the fact that the premiums haven't grown as much as was budgeted. Um, so a lot more work to do there. Yeah, and I think, Mari, you made a great point, and, and I, I, I don't think anyone at this table and very few people, you know, or if anybody listening would, you know, would and I, we're not trying at all to say here that, you know, city employees don't deserve their paychecks and work hard. No and, way. And, right. you know, we're their, not their benefits. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we're talking more globally about how the mayor of New York City, you know, deals with the fiscal future and present of the city and, you know, how you have to manage um, those costs and expenses and also look at, uh, you know, trends around the globe and around the city and uh, around the country and, you know, think about um, whether employees should be contributing at all to their premiums. And I think there's also, uh, I believe there's some research out there that says when people have to even contribute a small amount, they start to think very differently about the cost that they um, incur, and that's not, you know, vilifying anybody. That's just, you know, facts. Facts, yeah. For sure. Um, I also just, I couldn't help but while we were sitting there yesterday listening to the mayor um, uh, talking about the balanced budget and the savings and everything is very rosy, um, I keep thinking about these liabilities that technically fall into this capital bucket, but mm -hmm. I'm thinking about the subway, yeah. I'm thinking about uh, the city's public housing, which mm -hmm. is in dire condition um, and you know the dwindling federal dollars and I'm thinking about health care um, and how that's going to impact the city's public health system and I'm just um, I guess I my hope is that the mayor when he says he's on top of it that really they are on top of it mm -hmm. and but I haven't heard uh, or seen a convincing argument that that the city is really preparing for those expenses in the long term. When you talk about the three things you just mentioned, MTA, NYCHA, health and hospitals, there's no clear sense of urgency. Right. I think that's what you're getting at. And that does shock me as well. It's, it's pointing fingers. You know, this mayor has absolutely dedicated more resource and more attention to NYCHA than predecessors and deserves some credit for that. But there's also huge problems that need to be dealt with, and this is his fifth year as mayor. So you have to take you have to be able to handle both of those facts. Um, but there isn't a real sense of urgency or emergency around those three items. No, and both NYCHA, let's put the MTA to the side for a second, but um, both NYCHA and, and H&H and uh, and &H under the mayor came up with sort of strategic plans. Um, and in the case of H&H, &H, you know, there's no way that H&H &H can solve its fiscal problems without closing facilities or reducing headcount. And the mayor very early on in releasing the plan said that those things are off the table. 
Okay, so everything else is just papering over holes at this point. Um, unless he can sort of now say, well, um, it's the second term. I have more flexibility to get serious about this, um, more leeway. You know, let's let's think about how we can do that. And again, it doesn't mean you just lay off five thousand people. There are all kinds of retrainings, repurposings, et cetera. Um, unless you can think about how you do that, you're not, you're not going to make a dent in the problems, right? Um, with NYCHA, they have a plan. It's a good plan. I think they need a little more cover to be able to push forward um, to help improve some of the service outcomes there, some of their operational stuff, some of the revenue raisers, right? And, and the things that they're going to do to help them address the capital problem are things that are very different from how they've operated differently. They do involve privatization in some shape and form. There is community resistance to that. And I think the mayor has to realize that, yes, you know, he can contribute more for boilers. The city council can put in more money for security cameras and things like this. But fundamentally, we're talking about repairing roofs, repointing buildings. I mean, major structural work that, you know, the new needs assessment will be out soon, maybe $30 billion deep. The city can't handle that on its own. And these kind of bringing in the private sector to help here is necessary. And he, they really, the administration really needs to clear a path for them to be able to do more of that going forward. They need forward. to apply some political capital, Absolutely. I agree. So I just want, uh, we, we want to talk about some of these federal and state threats and how the mayor is handling them or ignoring them. We want to talk about, um, you know, a, he's going to be going to Albany on Monday um, to testify at a state budget hearing. Um, before we get into some of that, one of my favorite things of uh, every budget presentation is they, the city puts out these pie charts that says where... The, every you know dollar is coming from and where every dollar is going to and we'll try to post the um, those images uh, at, at the Gotham Gazette and CBC websites with the podcast uh, for everybody but you know it's really remarkable some of the big chunks of where the money comes in to the city from and goes out to um, so 36 cents for example 30 and I won't give every nugget of, of these pie graphs, but they are very interesting. 36 cents of every dollar that the city spends is on education, and that's the biggest chunk of the pie. Uh, 18 cents of every dollar is on social services, and 15 cents is on uh, what they label as the administration of justice. So right there combined, uh, you're talking about almost two-thirds of the budget on those three items. So I, I always find those things interesting. Right. Oh, I love that. And I think actually we did a we did a big Wall Street Journal budget story late last year and I kind of did a deep dive into where that money was going. I think the uniform services are also a huge chunk of that. So police, fire, um and so uh it's it's fun. And then when you look at the revenue side, uh you know, I think property taxes were mm -hmm. the largest driver of the the increase in revenues this year, which is no huge surprise. One number that jumped out at me that was Really fun, a little fun data point. <laughs> I didn't, I, maybe I missed this, but apparently tourism was down 100,000. International tourism to New York City um, was down 100,000 um, last year, which I would love to know more about. I don't know if either of you. There were some early, I remember. Is this, is this early, a Trump effect? Yeah, I remember not, early yeah, there was yeah. like questions about, you know, projections say that Trump will diminish tourism, but then people were like, you know, saying how that was jumping the gun a bit, but maybe now there's some real data to look well, at. Well, you know, the, that data point was kind of thrown in the budget book. I was doing a close uh, reading of it in the past 24 hours, and um, it did leave some questions, but, you know, considering the fact that 10% of 
people in the city who work here are employed by the tourism industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember Mayor Bloomberg always, I can't, de- oh gosh, how many press conferences he had touting, right. you know, all the, the visitors to New York. And I think every year the millionth visitor mm-hmm. was feted and, any, in any case, right. um, there the are type of thing some, that Mayor De Blasio never does. Right. I like, mean, I think this is you know, there. Right. There. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Would he enjoy that? I don't know. But there are some signs. There are some clouds on the horizon. And um, yeah, I, you know. <laughs> yeah. No. That that's an interesting one. And then um, you know the mayor is now promising to take on property tax reform, but he his number one principle on it is it has to be revenue neutral for the city. Uh, so that'll be fascinating to see how that uh, pans out. And on the on the pie chart of where every dollar comes from, the biggest chunk really that's identified sort of individually is general property tax is 30 cents of every dollar that comes into the city. Um, and then they, they have a big bucket of other taxes and local revenues is 41 cents. So that's, that's a 71 cents out of every dollar right there, those combined. Um, okay, state and federal stuff. The mayor spent a good bit of time in the introduction to his budget um, talking about the federal risks and the state risks. Um, What were your takeaways from that? You know, (laughs) uh, it's a little bit frustrating. The mayor says, uh, you know, in in yesterday afternoon releases a document telling us that he's getting 400 million a year less uh, from in, in state aid, essentially. And Governor Cuomo's folks dispute that. I, you know, on deadline last night, you really don't have time to dig into why, but what seems like is going on is that uh, technically the state is giving the city uh, more in dollar amounts slightly, but that actually the state has also shifted responsibility, um, other obligations onto the city, and so therefore the city is out, (laughs) essentially, $400 million. This is a budget dance that's going to continue, and I'm, I'm, I don't want to kind of read too much into it off the bat because this is just the opening negotiating bid from each side. And as this gets hammered out with a variety of other um, folks who will be involved, we'll kind of Talking see... Talking to you, Carl Hasty. Right, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we'll, see, we'll see kind of where it shakes out. But the, the, real, the real frustration to me about this conversation is always that most... Um, you know, the city sends send so much money to Albany mm-hmm. anyway well, that this, we're talking about tax dollars from New York City residents mm-hmm. anyway. Well, that's so the crazy way, part about the MTA the conversation exactly. that I right. do totally agree with people from the city, and the mayor's been terrible about actually making this point repeatedly, but it is a very good point that most of the MTA's money comes from city residents and commuters and people just, you know, the metro area. That's right, 72% um, of tax and, and, and subsidies. You know, and the funny thing about all of this is that these are the arguments that Governor Cuomo is making to attack the federal government, right? right. So no, that's right. Mm-hmm. We don't want to zoom down. You know, we could do this down to the block. You know, down to the house, right? Where you say, "Well, I'm giving more to the government than I right. get back." We don't want to. So we have to be careful with the degree to which we do that. But when you talk about what the city, you know, and and Cuomo and I heard John Flanagan say this recently, the Senate Majority Leader from Long Island at a, a Crane's breakfast, he said, you know. New York, I fully acknowledge New York City is the economic engine of the state, and everybody acknowledges that. Um, so, but it is, 
when the governor's facing a $4.4 billion deficit, he's going to look to New York City, especially when he is not so friendly with the mayor, and he's going to say, what are some ways I can shift some some costs? Yeah, and then, you know, there's the whole debate always about, you know, what's the cut on a state fiscal year, on a city fiscal year? Is it a cut year over year? Is it a cut against what the city was expecting? And it takes, you know, quite a while for all of us to parse that out and figure out what's going on. Um, right. But I think, you know, in, in my mind, the, the dollars involved in most of this are tiny. They're really geared towards some social service programs. There will be more education aid for the city year over year. Um, the question, I think, really is going to be what does the mayor do about congestion pricing? Mm. Um, and so in my mind, he's starting to soften a little yes. bit his rhetoric against it. But what does that ultimately mean? I mean, what adjustments will have to be made for him, he, for the mayor, and perhaps the council speaker to get on board and, and pass this plan. Yeah, yeah. I, I predict that he will eventually yield on that. And he did, at his one of a news conference this week, he actually surprised some of us by saying, you know, this is the best plan that I've seen mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. And maybe they can, you know, as long as they can promise me that the money will go to the subways and buses. So I think maybe there's some negotiations going on behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah he yeah. loves that the plan didn't have the tolls on the bridges, which has, you know, been a big thing for him. And and I think uh, I think he might get there. I mean, he is already boxed in a little bit because the new council speaker has been so out there saying he's in favor of congestion pricing. That's Corey Johnson. Um, so he's got the governor on one side and Corey Johnson on the other. And that that's, that is a tough place to be if you're the mayor, if you have the council speaker and the governor um, on the same page about something that you're resistant to. Um, so we're going to hear certainly more about that, I believe, on Monday when the mayor is questioned in Albany around the budget. Um, we're going to hear him also talk more about MTA mm-hmm. cost shifts that the governor is proposing. So this was interesting to me yesterday, which was the mayor has a whole slide and a whole part of his presentation about risks from Albany, and um, they they put the they quantify it at potential risks of seven hundred fifty million dollars. But he didn't include the MTA cost shifts, and that was very curious, um, and maybe it's because he's refusing – I mean, he basically said this when asked, you know, that he's sort of refusing to even acknowledge them. I don't know why he's acknowledging these others then. Yeah, it's odd. I mean, and, and there's, you know, a complicated debt deal that was done a few years ago where the city, where the state is retaining it's some total of about $600 million over three, three years from the city. And that's a done deal, and the city refuses to put that in the plan, too. So, I mean, I think the MTA cost shift um, proposal is is so outrageous that they're just like, you know, forget it. They're probably feeling confident it will get beaten back. It's what they did two years ago with the CUNY and Medicaid shifts. They basically said, no, we're not factoring these into our plans because we're just starting, As you know, as Mara, as you said, you know, these are the first um, parts of a long negotiation that will go basically – if, if things happen on time, you know, till March 31st, April 1st, when the state budget is due. Um, so we've got a, a couple more months ahead of us of this fund. Um, so in our, in our last few minutes here, um, there are some things maybe we should note that the mayor is adding a little bit of money here and there for, you know, this is not um, all about uh, questions about, you know, big picture budgeting. He is putting, shifting around some money for some targeted, as they use the word, targeted investments. Um, you know, one of the interesting things, for example, is they're going to pilot uh, some subsidies to refurbish basements in East New York for more afford, you know, to try to create more affordable housing. And they like the idea of that becoming perhaps a, a citywide model to find and create affordable housing 
wherever they can. Uh, yeah. There were some other... That seemed kind of innovative. I liked that. Yeah. And that was a great example of... I, you know, they threw that into the... Bu- they stuffed it into the budget. And I thought, well, shoot, you know, take us to one of these buildings. Show us what this is about. Um, you know, whose idea was this? Uh, how many people... I, I don't know. I was right. totally fascinated by that um, in a Mr. Rogers kind of way, I guess. But, yeah, we'd um, like to see the mayor, like, walk down into one of these, you know, sh- sh- short right. uh, basement <laughs> apartments and talk about how... Yeah. Or basement <laughs> Basements that are yet to be apartments. Right. But then... Uh, you know, the, the boilers for the public housing um, authority, the public housing buildings. I, Jill Jorgensen from the Daily News had a great story about this boiler issue this week. Um, basically, this winter's been very cold, and the boilers, some of them are so old in these uh, buildings that the companies that made them no longer are in business and have been out of business for years. So when they break down, essentially, um, they have to have an entire team at the housing authority that builds new ones based on, you know, kind of, um, which is crazy. And so the mayor has put $200 million, um, over a few years uh, and somebody asked yesterday whether he could speed this up, but over a few years to replace some of these boiler systems. And I think that's a great idea of what you were talking about, Maria, which is, I mean, this, this is a drop in the mm-hmm. bucket for an, an agency that serves you know, 400,000 people. It's like a small city, has so many needs. And I think we're seeing kind of um, things coming apart at the seams. Yeah, and I think you know, whenever they release this needs assessment, um, Mm. whatever they do with, you know, any attachment in terms of a capital budget or capital plan has to come with a really clear articulation of what are the priorities. I mean, how are you going to direct the money to affect really, you know, to get the most bang for the buck, really? Because there is so much to do. The hole is very deep. Um, and I think their plan, you know, needs to say, here's what the top priorities are. Let us all, state, city, you know, leaders agree on that. And let's all work towards making the processes at the housing authority more efficient to take care of that and take that on as much as possible. Um, and, you know, to be truthful, the city could use some of that, you know, turn some of that eye on its own capital planning process as well. Um, now the, the council speaker has created a subcommittee on the capital budget. Um, so hopefully they start to look at that more deeply too, because it's often or too often been an afterthought um, after really grilling agency heads about their operating budgets and services and programs. But you know it's a hundred billion dollar ten year capital program. It's bigger than a lot of states. There's a lot going on. We know there are cost overruns. We know the process is unwieldy. We know we need all kinds of procurement reforms. Um, and, you know, I think there needs to, to also be an agenda there in terms of how the city can do better with its capital dollars. And make them more transparent. Yes. They are moving. I mean, we, we call this the end of the budget process supposedly is June 30th, end of the fiscal year. But really, the mayor can move that capital money um, back and forth for all kinds of projects at whim. Um, the council has kind of put up um, some wrinkles about that, but, but mostly allowed it. And so what that means is if the mayor's moving money in the middle of the year, there's new needs because either programs are over budget or a boiler failed, what have you. And so I would like to know more. And we might get more information given the new subcommittee that you mentioned, Maria. Let's be cautiously optimistic. All right, so there's a lot coming up that we've um, previewed here, but I think we'll leave it there for now. Uh, Lots of good budget season stuff to come, starting with the mayor in Albany on Monday and take it from there. Mara Gay from the Wall Street Journal, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Bye.
Thank you.